Hey, this is Mark with A Present Word, where scripture is shared with insightful and practical applications for you today. John chapter 14, verse 19, Jesus speaking. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. Jump to verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. As I read this chapter, you can pick up the anticipation and the excitement that Jesus was going back to see his Father. He came forth from his Father, and now he's going back. I believe he's anticipating being back in his Father's presence and what all that will mean for his future and for his disciples and the church. John chapter 16, verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. How is he going to the Father? Well, he's going by way of the cross. This was his transport vehicle back to the kingdom of his Father. It wasn't his choice, but he submitted to it. He said, Father, if this is your will, if this is the way that I have to die to get back to you, then so be it. Of course, we know that he accomplished much more than just using the cross as his vehicle to transport him back to the kingdom of heaven. And all that his death on the cross represents to us individually and to the church universally. But the good news is, is he tells us that the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Well, that should encourage our hearts because the Lord said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You will see me. The world will not. And then he goes on to say, because I live, you will live also. John chapter 14, verse 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. This setting is in the upper room. They have finished the meal, all that the scriptures have declared to us. So he washed the disciples' feet. Judas had betrayed him at the table and left as Satan filled his heart. But he's arising and he's going. He's going to his cross. Jesus continues teaching the disciples in John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. See, the question Jesus is really asking is, am I your friend? Will you lay down your life for me as I'm laying down my life for you? See, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Will you lay down your life for me? The apostle John writes in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But I want to emphasize first, we have to lay down our life for the Lord and then for our brethren. Well, why for the brethren? Because the brethren are his friends. Peter said to the Lord, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. And he said, art thou ready to really die for me, Peter? See, Peter wanted to die for the Lord, but he was unable at that time to die for the Lord. He ended up denying him three times. We all know the story. But I believe the Apostle John is getting at here that he laid down his life for us, so we need to lay down our lives for the brethren, first to the Lord, and then for each other, for the body of Christ. 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was manifest towards us, 
that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. John's very clear that the life that we now have to live has to be lived through him. Jesus is teaching in John 14, 20, At that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. John 15, 5, He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm living in the Father. I want to come into you, you and me, I and you. But apart from me, he's saying, you can't do anything. You can't bear fruit. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And the question I'm asking is, when are we going to learn the reality of this statement, that without me you can do nothing? Without the Lord, we can really accomplish nothing. See, dead religion, without me, is killing off true Christian seekers. In my life of pursuing God in so many Christian religious activities, I've gone to meetings and gatherings, and and at the end of it, it's produced death, not life. I went away more frustrated. I went looking for answers, and I came away more consternated than I went to the meeting. Why? I believe the answer can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, see, dead religion without me, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Jesus saying, without me, the letter will kill. With me, you'll bring forth life. In other words, if we're not abiding in him, what we're bringing forth is not going to be giving life. It will only bring death. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And as he went on, many were offended and were walking away. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Are you also going away? And Peter said to him, Where can we go, Lord? You alone have the words of life. Well, God bless Peter for recognizing that. And I pray that we would recognize that. Where else can we go? It said many of his disciples turned away and left him. Where did they go? See, there's no other source of life. If we get offended and turn back from our pursuit of God and living for the Lord, there's no other options. There's no other sources of life. So people go into darkness and they go into deception and they light their own fires and they walk in the own light of their own delusions. But Peter said, where can we go, Lord? You alone have the words of life. It's the spirit who gives life. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses or manifests the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death, leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life, leading to life. Well, I think we can understand the aroma leading to life, but what's this aroma of death leading to death? Why death? In the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus speaking, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. 
but if it dies, it produces much grain. In this case, it produces much grain. Well, that grain is life. See, through our dying to our own self-interest, desires, and pleasures, you know, things that make us happy versus what will please the Lord. So in Paul's case, he's writing to the Corinthians, he's saying that we were an aroma of death because he chose the greater part to live for Christ. See, either we're living for ourselves or we're living for him. If we're allowing ourselves to fall into the ground and die, well, we'll produce much life. And our life will begin to give off a fragrance and manifest the presence of God and the knowledge of him in every place. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, 25. It's interesting where the Lord says, for my sake. What does that mean? We can't die just for the sake of dying. There has to be a purpose, and this purpose is for his sake or his purpose. What does that mean? In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus speaking, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Well, that sounds a lot like a scripture we read earlier, where he said, without me, you can do nothing. See, the Lord was teaching them a principle that he himself was living in. He was living completely out of his Father's purpose and will. Even the words that he was speaking, everything he was doing was coming from his Father, the source of heaven. If we just try to serve God in our own understanding and our own best efforts and model ourselves after other Christians and what we see going on in Christianity and say, I've got this figured out. Okay, this is how I'm a good Christian. This is what I'll do. I'll be a pastor, teacher, maybe an evangelist. I go to a prophetic school and learn how to prophesy. I can do these things. But the truth is, is that the Lord is specific. See, when he created each and every one of us, he had a plan and purpose and a call on our life. John the Baptist said, no man can receive anything unless it be given from above. We just think that we can, you know, choose what we want, like a vending machine and say, oh, I think, you know, I'll take that gift. I'll take that. I'll do this. I'll take that. I want, and I don't want one talent. I want to be a five talent. I want to be a 10 talent Christian. See, Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing. Why? I don't seek my own will. That's a an aspect of our dying when we die to our own will, our own desires, our own pleasures, our own self-interest. We're either going to live for ourselves or for the Lord. I know that there's kind of a mix as we're apprehending, like Paul said, you know, I forget those things that are behind and I press on to the upward high call in God. Well, that upward high call in God does require a dying to our self-interest. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work, John 14, 10. So he's letting us know here, everything I'm doing is coming from my Father who dwells in me. And we read earlier that the Lord says, without me in you, you can't accomplish anything. John chapter 5, verse 19, and Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, John 6, 38. So how in the world do we accomplish this? We, we read these scriptures, we realize that the Lord had completely died to his own will and self-interest. So when he 
gets up every morning, he's not doing something that makes him happy. If his father puts on his heart a plan and a purpose for that day, where to go, what to say, he gets up and he arises and he goes. May we become such a people. But many of us would say, well, God's not speaking to me like that. I'm not hearing the Lord that way. When I get up, that's not happening. And it's not happening in your life and in my life because we're not dying to our will. We're not dying to our self-interest. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Okay, well, we get that. We, we know what he did for us. We know that he's, he's looking for us to not live for ourselves. But let's look at a picture of that in the scriptures. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus is speaking to the Apostle Peter. When you were younger, you girded yourself or dressed yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Well, we know the story that Peter was eventually crucified. I believe that before Peter went to his cross... He had already died. He had died to his will. He had died to living for himself. How can you crucify a man who's already dead? See, Peter wanted to glorify the Lord. At that point, it was an honor and a privilege for him to go to that cross. He knew that was his transport vehicle back to the Lord Jesus. He thought he was willing to die for him earlier, but he wasn't able. And the reality is that's true of all of us. We appreciate the sacrifice that the Lord did for us, and we want to serve him. We want to glorify him. We want to bring him glory in and through our life. But the only way that this can happen is as we follow the pattern, and the pattern is the Lord. And he's pointing it out that for you to live, you have to die. You have to fall into the ground and die. Otherwise, you'll remain alone. And apart from the Lord abiding and living through us, whatever we're accomplishing, it's not going to be of him. That means it's not going to be very pretty. It's not going to be life-giving. It may be religious, but it's not going to be life-giving, life-transforming. The Lord is speaking to him and preparing him now for what's ahead. And Peter prepared himself. Paul did also. We read in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh or in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, these are our patterns. These are our examples. First the Lord, and then we see it working through his apostles. And I'm sure it worked through the remaining apostles that were scattered throughout the Middle East and Asia. And all of them ended up laying down their lives, their physical life for the Lord. But I believe that before that event happened, they were already dead men. The Apostle Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Now this scripture, it's, it's a paradox. It's seemingly an absurd or self-contradictory statement to the natural man. Yet when we experience what Paul is writing about here, it will prove true. The death of self in us is where his life will come through us and give us life 
that we must first be partakers of his life, and then we have life that can flow through us to others. If the life of God is not abiding in us, then how can we bring forth life to others? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels made of clay, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh or our bodies of clay, so that death is working in us, but life in you. See, it's the spirit that giveth life. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. For that to happen, well, Paul's telling us here that we're always delivered to death. But it's death for the Lord's sake. See, the Lord said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He found his life. And it wasn't in his former life in Judaism. It was his life in Christ. But he realized that for this life to come forth, that he had to die to everything that he had held precious in his past. He said, I count it all worthless now. But this death is for Jesus' sake. When the Lord said, for my sake, that's his life coming through our life. See, first we'll be partakers of his life in us, and then that life will flow through us to others. Death is working in us, Paul said, but life in you. In other words, the only way that this life of God, this life of Christ, can come forth through our life is as we allow our self-life to die and fall into the ground. This is not works of salvation. We know that that's a free gift. But this is where Jesus now is living through our life. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. When we're born again, we're children. Did you read the Old Testament? He's always calling the Israelites children. He wants us to grow up into all things in Christ so our life can become useful. But he's saying, will you lay down your life for me? Am I your friend? See, greater love has no man than he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying to us, you're my friends. I'm going to lay down my life for you. Will you lay down your life for me? Because when we really lay down our life for him, then he can live through us to impact and touch the world in which we live. Many of us just receive what he did into our life. We're grateful, we appreciate it, but we're locked in, we're closed. Nothing's flowing through. We're like a cap well. We have, we have salvation, but nothing is flowing through our life. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. And one poor widow came and threw in two mites or two very small copper coins. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow was put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. The emphasis of this story is 
all. She put in all that she had. She was all in. She put her whole life in. And even though she put in two small copper coins, it says this is widow has put in more than all of those. That means, you know, they put this huge pile of whatever substance it was, coins, gold, you know, bracelets, you know, jewels, whatever they would throw in the treasury. If you piled all that up on one side and put her two copper coins on the other, the Lord is saying those two copper coins represent more than all of that. Well, how can that be? Because the Lord is not looking at things on the earthly level. He looks inside the intent, the purpose of our life. When she went to the temple, she's saying, I am all in. I'm giving you all that I have, Lord. Luke 10, 25, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. The emphasis again is on the all, just like the widow. She gave, she gave it all. The Lord is saying, will you give me all of your heart? Will you give me all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind? Well, it's something that we're working through. It's a process. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And the Lord creates opportunities and tests. He puts us in the school of Christ. And there's great suffering and persecution that we have to go through. But through this, we're emptying and we're dying and we're surrendering. Revelations 12:11, and they overcame him. Who's him? Satan. By the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus. By the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives to the death. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. I hope this message was helpful to you today. If you would like to be notified of future podcasts, click the follow button. If you're on Google, click subscribe. This is a free podcast. We are a listener-supported ministry. If you would like to donate, click the PayPal link in the podcast. If you're on our website, click the heart button. To contact me, my email is apresentword at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.